Now, click subscribe for more of my videos. <laughs> All right. I love it. Uh, so good. So good. We all run the risk of becoming our parents, right, in good and bad ways. I, I will share with you that when I was in Virginia, my dad and my parents and I all went to the same church. M my dad um, would often show up on a Sunday morning, and, you know, we lived in different houses at this point, and we would show up wearing the exact same suit and the same shirt and the same tie. It was eerie. We also have kind of the same haircut. Uh, <laughs> And so people would come up behind us and, and literally not know which one of us they were, they were trying to talk to. Uh, so we, we grow up and very often we kind of become our parents, right? And, and that's, I think, exactly what this chapter in Genesis is trying to convey to us, the, the good and the bad, uh, the risk of becoming our parents. Uh, and I don't know if you noticed this, but in this story, Abraham is almost as much of a character as Isaac. He, his name just keeps coming up again and again and again. Uh, and we're going to see in Isaac's life the good and the bad of Abraham, as we see in our lives the good and the bad uh, of those who've gone before us. Uh, the, the Scripture begins, now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that occurred in the days of Abraham. So right at the beginning, we're told two things. We're told there's a problem. The problem is there's a famine. This is the first famine since Genesis chapter 12. And we're told uh, that this happened in Abraham's days. Chapter 12 is when Abraham, because of the famine, goes down into Egypt. Remember, he sort of gives his wife to Pharaoh, says that Sarah is his sister, uh, and makes a lot of money, and then Pharaoh gets upset, and then he admits does this sound, kind of sound like a familiar story, right? Uh, so we're told from the very beginning, remember Abraham. Abraham's story is going to be important to make sense of this story of Isaac. Uh, and, and, and then we're told um, from the verse 2, the Lord appeared to Isaac. This is a really big deal, by the way. We're going to come back to the, the good part of the story. We're going to do the bad part first. We're going to come back to the good part, but this is a really good part. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Settle in the land that I will show you. So he, he literally says, don't repeat what your dad did right? When there was a famine, your dad went to Egypt, and we all know what happened and all the dumb ways he made mistakes, and so just don't do what your dad did. And so Isaac says, all right, I won't go to Egypt. I'm going to go to Gerar. Now, uh, I recognize uh, that I have done you a disservice, and the disservice I've done you is um, we have been, in the last few weeks, having to skip some chapters in Genesis. So we skipped Genesis 20 and 21. But if you go back, and I strongly encourage you to do this later, if you go back to Genesis 20 and 21, you get two really interesting stories. Genesis 20, you get the story of Abraham going to Gerar to meet with a guy named Abimelech, who is the king of Gerar. And when he goes, because he's afraid that he might be killed for his wife, he says, Sarah, tell them you're my sister. And Abimelech takes her into his home to be his wife and then finds out that it's a sister, a wife, not a sister, and then says, what have you done? Ooh, my favorite phrase, mazot in Hebrew, right? What this? It's the same story, right? It's even the same characters in the same story. So not only does Abraham do this once, Abraham does it twice. He does it to Egypt uh, with Pharaoh. He does it in Gerar with Abimelech. And, and now here's Isaac repeating the story of his father. I'm not going to go to Egypt. I'll go to Gerar and make the mistakes my dad made there. 
Oh, just for fun, um, that's not where the parallels end. In Genesis 21, Abraham and Abimelech have an argument about well water. And Abimelech and his um, army leader, a guy named Philcol, same guy, same name at least, show up and they say, hey, our herdsmen and your herdsmen are fighting about wells, and can we make a covenant to get together on this? And Abraham says, sure, and then they make a covenant, and then the well around which they make the covenant, it's called Beersheba, same well, same name. Beersheba means well. Uh, Bear means well. Sheba means oath. Uh, Same place. The, the, the parallels between the story of Isaac in 26 and the story of Abraham in 20 and 21 are so intense that a number of authors have asked, hey, is it possible this is just like an error? Like, is it possible that these aren't two different stories? It sounds like the exact same story with the same characters, and they just weren't sure if it was Isaac or if it was Abraham to whom the story happened, or actually, more importantly, Sarah and Rebekah to whom the story happened. I don't think that's the case, um, but I think it's significant that they are so different, we have to ask, um, why do we have these two almost identical stories, almost three identical stories, Abraham in Egypt, Abraham in Gerar, Isaac in Gerar? And and I think the intentionality here is to simply say uh, that Isaac is becoming his dad. He is in every way growing up to be like his dad. Uh, and without a doubt, uh, the, Abraham did a lot of bad things, but the worst thing Abraham did was selling his wife to Pharaoh and to Abimelech. And here we have Isaac repeating his dad's worst sin. We have Isaac doing the exact same dishonest, selfish, uh, cowardly act to say, hey, you know, honey, I'm not going to lay, lay down my life for my wife, but if you want to lay down your life for me, I'd really appreciate it. And so, in the bad, sometimes we grow up to be our parents. We grow up to be our ancestors. We grow up to be the ones who came before us. And I think most of us have experienced this in some way, shape, or form. We notice that there are generational behavioral patterns that are passed down from parent to child. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had, heartbreaking conversations, of of children whose parents were alcoholics who said, I'll never be that, I'll never be that, I'll never be that, and then came to my office and said, hey, Jim, we need to talk because I'm struggling with alcohol. I, I've become my mom. I've become my dad. What we see modeled is what we do. Uh, ooh, by the way, I, I don't know what Isaac saw. I don't know if Isaac actually ever saw his father sell his mother um, the, the way the story is written, it seems like he probably didn't. It seems like he never witnessed that, but he must have absorbed enough of his father's behavior towards his mother that he intuited to make the same choice, right, to risk her safety and her health for his life rather than the other way around. Chloe Williams uh, had an article in Psychology Today where she talks about um, our work of internalizing the behavior of our ancestors. She said there are uh, these scripts, like these patterns of behavior that we use, uh, and she says there are some that we replicate, we repeat from our ancestors, our parents, our grandparents, whatever, and there's some that we correct. She says uh, the, the repeated scripts 
are um, sometimes good, sometimes bad. You know, some families have a tradition of always having a live Christmas tree. Some families always have an artificial Christmas tree, right? Some people took the toilet paper so it goes out like a normal, good human being. Some people, like a villain, put it on the inside, right? And it's just kind of the way you grew up in your family. Uh, There are some things that we said we'd never repeat. Um, Do you remember being a kid and your mom or dad saying, because I told you so? And you said, I'll never say that to my kids. Who's ever said that to their child? Just be honest. Yeah, okay. Um, There are some things we repeat on purpose and some things we repeat not on purpose, good and bad. Uh, And then she says they're corrective scripts, some things we intentionally change. Again, this can be good or bad. Uh, This can be, um, you know, I saw this pattern of of, of abuse of alcohol in my ancestors. I'm not going to do it myself. Or it could be, hey, you know what? I felt like my parents were superficial in their faith, so I don't want a superficial faith. I'm going to run as far from the church as possible. What we are called to be what Isaac is called to be uh, is, is um, what we often refer to as a transitional generation. And it simply means we have to be intentional about what we repeat and what we correct. We have to be intentional about what we repeat and what we correct. That uh, if we are unthoughtful about who we are becoming, we will often become the people that we've seen modeled in their good and in their bad. Um, but but Israel is called to pass on their faith and reform their sin so the next generation can be better. And isn't that what we always say we want? We want our next generation to be better. And when we don't, when we don't um, enact our capacity to change, when we don't try um, to repeat what needs to be repeated and correct what needs to be corrected, um, we can really do damage. We can really do damage. Uh, I think the most, one of the most depressing verses in the Bible is Judges chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Uh, this is the story of the Israelites after Moses has died. Joshua has led them into the promised land. Joshua has died. Uh, and the, those folks, that generation that worked with Joshua and saw miracles in the wilderness and helped conquer the promised land is getting old. And we're told... Um, that whole generation was gathered to their ancestors over time, not immediately. And another generation grew up after them who did not know the Lord or the work He had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. How does a whole generation grow up not knowing God? Uh, and, And the answer is that their spiritual parents um, didn't enact their capacity for change, right? They didn't pass on the faith. They passed on everything else. So we have this responsibility to be thoughtful and intentional about what in our lives we are passing on to others um, and what we need to correct and change that was passed to us. But we also have this incredible hope in this story. I mean, Isaac is doing some dumb stuff. I mean, dumb stuff, evil stuff with his wife. But there's incredible hope in the story as well. So we're told uh, at the very beginning of the story that Isaac um, has a conversation with Yahweh. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, don't go to Egypt, settle the land that I will show you, reside in this land as an alien, I will be with you and will bless you, for to you and to your descendants I will give these lands. I will fulfill the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. 
I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven, and will give your offspring all these lands, and all the nations of the earth shall gain blessing for themselves through your offspring, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. It's, it's incredible that all of the good things that will come to Isaac are coming not because Isaac is this great, amazing guy, but because of the faithfulness of his dad. His dad, who made a lot of mistakes, his dad, who modeled some really destructive things for him, his dad also faithfully followed God enough that there is a blessing that God wants to pass on to him. By the way, after Isaac goes to Gerar and does this horrible thing with his wife and Abimelech, we're told that God isn't done with him. After that story, God appears to him again in verse 24 and says, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid. I am with you and will bless you and make your offspring numerous for my servant Abraham's sake. It's really an amazing moment in the story. Abraham's faith, as messed up a man as he was, has somehow conveyed this blessing to his son. Yes, it's conveyed a lot of destructive things as well, but he's conveyed this blessing to his son. We get Scripture that talks about this a lot. Um, in the second commandment, God says, I am a jealous God, showing, um, but I show steadfast love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. We're told even in, in 1 Corinthians that um, because one parent is believing, the children of a family can be holy. We pass on to the next generation um, this, this blessing of our faith that allows God to bless them in unique and special ways. This is what we do every time we have a, a child's baptism. When we baptize a child, they come forward with their parents. We ask the parents to affirm their faith. We ask the parents to renounce sin. We ask the parents to promise to raise their child in the Christian faith and teach them what it means to be Christ's disciple. And then we baptize the child because we are claiming this promise that God will show steadfast love to a thousand generations of those who love Him and keep His commandments. And this is our goal as, as the people of God. We know uh, we want to not pass on our brokenness, but even more, we want to pass on the best that we have to our kids. And everybody always says we want to leave things better for our children. We want them to have more educational opportunities, more financial opportunities. Uh, if we struggle with addiction, we don't want them to struggle for addiction. All that stuff is awesome. But what if our main goal was to say we want to pass on a, a spiritual blessing what if our greatest objective wasn't the college fund, but the kingdom fund? How am I investing in the kingdom fund of my children and my family and my community every day? How am I following God in such a way that they are drawn to follow God in that way too? And by the way, Paul makes this abundantly clear that in the New Testament, this is not about biological families. In the New Testament, the new community of God, the church, is not about those born into it. It's about those faithed into it. I am not writing this to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you might have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Indeed, in Christ Jesus, I fathered you through the gospel. I appeal to you then, be imitators of me. You're called to mother and to father people with the gospel not just your children, that all those around you are potentially those that you might um, direct to God in such a way that you can say, I'm not perfect, 
my life is messed up, but when it comes to following God, be an imitator of me. This is what Mission Starfish Haiti is doing so incredibly well. Uh, they, are, they are parenting these kids. They are mothering and fathering these kids in the gospel. These kids that have and don't have biological parents are finding spiritual parents. Uh, and Pastor Claude Ney and in Salanto and in their teachers and, and all those who are loving on them in so many powerful ways. We can become spiritual mothers and fathers of people of all ages. They don't have to be um, older or younger than us. They can be our age. They can be any generation. We have that incredible capacity to pass on that story. Uh, there's a wonderful book um, called The First Wave, um, which details the landings on, on Normandy and D-Day. Uh, and in it, it tells a, a brief story of um, the rangers of the 2nd Ranger Battalion who were tasked with taking um, Point du Hoc. Uh, Point du Hoc was um, a, a series of cliffs located between Omaha and Utah beaches. Uh, and, and the face of that cliff was about 100 feet straight up, and there were German batteries on that face um, that absolutely had to be taken out. Uh, 225 Rangers and the 2nd Ranger Battalion landed um, to take Point du Hoc. Uh, in all, 152 of them were wounded and 77 of them fatally. It was a 67% casualty rate. The leaders of that platoon, Lieutenant Kirchner and Colonel Rudder, um, who were wounded twice at Point du Hoc, both received the Distinguished Service Cross for their heroism as they and their soldiers climbed 100-foot ladders under German fire to get to these gun batteries. Another soldier under their command, um, Sergeant Lynn Lummel, who also received the Distinguished Service Cross, um, talked about Colonel Rudder. He said, Rudder talked to you softly but firmly like a big brother. He inspired you to do your best. He was a man you would die for. At an award ceremony seven miles inland from Point du Hoc, two weeks after D-Day, Rudder's courage and perseverance were cited by a senior general as Rudder stood before the survivors of his 2nd Battalion. With tears rolling down his cheeks, Rudder turned to his men. This does not belong to me, he cried out, referring to the medal whose cost had been so great. It belongs to you. You keep it for us, shouted one of his men. This is the blessing that we have as spiritual fathers and mothers. We get to keep the medals of those we parent for them. We get to, to pass on the, the best that God has given us. And I think about those who keep the medals of my life. I think about Ron and Lucy Gates and Sheila Fife and Jim Wood and Amy and Randy Fanzler and John Lorraine Perkins and Shep Russell and Sherry Henry and Rachel Wan and Valina Hoy and Dave Ross and Dave Miller and so on and on and on. Some contemporaries and some older and some younger but older than me in the faith. And I think, who has helped parent you into the blessing of God? Before and after Isaac's emulation of his father's worst trait, God blesses Isaac because of his father's best traits. And this is the call of Christ to be a transitional generation, to be spiritual mothers and fathers, and even in our brokenness, to parent others into the blessing of Christ. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.